Christ says here, it's the Father's house, he says. And he says in his famous words in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh, and let's just be theological here, no man cometh to heaven except through me. Heaven's the location. But what is the way Christ puts it? No man cometh to the Father but by me. We come to the Father in this life. Praise God. We come to know that we have a Father. We are brought via the cross. We're brought via the Savior. We're brought via the one who's flesh of our flesh, bone of our bone. We're brought via Jesus. But it doesn't take long for us to discover through the work and ministry of Christ and the testimony of the apostles, especially in the New Testament, we come to know we have a Father. Well, this is not only the Father's house, but Christ says to go there is to come to the Father. That's what surprised the disciples. That's what surprised the disciples. God, yes, descending on Sinai in mystery. We saw no form when he was on the mountain. Moses, you speak to him for us. Now, Jesus, you speak to him for us. He says, you cometh unto the Father. Philip said in verse 8, well, show us the Father. It's sufficient for us. They don't know the Father like that. That's not part of their daily faith. They've not been thinking about it that way. Christ corrects it. Have I been so long with you and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And I'm just trying to get across to you here that when you go to heaven, what do you envisage about heaven? It is a place. I don't want to say first and foremost. It is a place that at least initially in our thoughts must be about coming unto the Father. Jesus brings us to the Father. Is it Peter that says that, or is it Paul? That all that Jesus did, that he might bring us to God. That's what Jesus is doing. He's bringing us to his Father, to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. He's bringing us to his Father. And when we go to heaven, we will be, it will be very clear to us that this is the place of the Father. We will be aware of his fatherhood and his fatherliness. We will have personal knowledge of him. He's, he says here, um, if you had known me, verse 7, you would have known my father. And from now on, you know him and have seen him he keeps speaking about the father the father who dwells in me does the works believe me that i am in the father and the father in me the amount of things he says about the father in these chapters he's almost bringing the very air and atmosphere of heaven into the room he's speaking of his own glory and his father's glory and the procession of the holy spirit and God being manifest to these 11 men. And it's all just a foretaste of what heaven itself will be like. When we go to glory, we will know 
that it is the Father's house, and we will come unto the Father. Uh, Revelation 4 and 5, that great vision of heaven um, in the New Testament, um, shows us that there is a, a distinction, a distinctiveness in our awareness of the Father in heaven. I looked, John says, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now that's not Christ, that's the Father. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance, like an emerald. Around the throne, 24 elders, uh, 24 thrones on which sat 24 elders, clothed in white robes, and so on. Now, he's seeing a vision. That's a vision, a prophetic vision. But the point is that in heaven, where God dwells unveiled, there is an eminence and a glory that I'm all I'm willing to say is that there's there's a, a, a distinctiveness and an awareness that this is the Father. That as the glory of God emanates in heaven, even if it is mediated by Christ, we are aware when we see it. We are aware that it is our Father's glory. And we will recognize it as our Father. Yes, He is the Creator. And even in that chapter, they praise Him through through whom all things consist, who was, who is, who is to come, for you made all things. He's the creator. But though it's his glory as the creator and the redeemer, we're aware that he's our father. We see that glory in heaven and in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus said to her that he ascends to his father, my father, your father, your God, my God, that must be something we're very aware of in heaven, that we cometh unto the Father, that we're ascending. Jesus doesn't say, it's a blessed place to be, to ascend to my Father, but it's my Father and your Father. And his Spirit in this interim period is bringing forth that cry in the newborn heart, Abba, Father, Father, we have the boldness to come to the Lord God of glory who made all things and say to him, my father, my father. We are not just saved creatures who look at a glorious son. We in Christ, are the sons of God. In him, joint heirs. And when we go to heaven, it will be clear. We will see the Father. We will see something of his glory. We will not see a form on the mount, for God is spirit. He has no form. He is of spiritual substance, invisible to the merely natural human eye. But as on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw a glory that wasn't Christ's. 
Christ had his own glory there, but they saw a glory and a voice speaking from that glory. So may I say too that in the Father's house, we will not only see something of the Father's glory represented in that book of a sardius stone, an emerald, the light of an emerald, a rainbow around the throne. These are just pictures of immense uh, color and mathematical beauty. It's the idea that there is, there is a beauty and a radiance uh, to God as he expresses himself from unapproachable light. We'll see his glory, but will we not hear his glory too? Will we really go to heaven and see the Lord Jesus Christ and hear him speak and, and think to ourselves, and somewhere our Father is who is invisible and we only hear through the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to push these things. I'm verging upon speculation clearly. But Peter says we heard his voice on the mount. Uh, So I don't want to push. I'll tell you what scripture says because that's what I'm authorized to do. I know that Peter, James, and John heard and saw the glory of the Father. And all I'm saying is if they saw that on the Mount of Transfiguration, which was heaven on earth, is it the case that we would not know our own Father's presence and glory or even his voice when we dwell in his house? Speaking about heaven while preaching um, has its limitations, uh, as you know. But we have fellowship with the Son too. Not only the Father, but with the Son too. Uh, Christ says in verse 3, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again. That's perhaps in the Holy Spirit, perhaps eschatologically when he comes in his great parousia, and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Christ is also the glory of heaven. The Lamb is the light thereof. And he radiates and mediates the glory of God. Uh, Heaven is filled with light. It's always pictured that way. It's always expressed that way. And it is filled, everything is stamped with the glory of God. Uh, In Zechariah it says that, in, in in a picture form, that all the elements of the New Jerusalem, the horses and bells and the pots and everything that's used in worship is all stamped with holiness to Jehovah, has God's name on it. Everything is stamped with God's name. Uh, and that may be a, a picture of the, the ultimate. I mean, how can we conceive that the place would be any different? Even Paul says that this world, in its fallen state with blind eyes looking at it, emits the very attributes of God. Well, heaven must be very clearly, it must radiate and emanate with the glory of God. That the Spirit of God fills heaven, and he will fill the new heavens and new earth and all of its inhabitants with a light and a glory. And the Father's glory must be seen in every place. It's seen in Revelation 4 where John is peering to the throne. He's aware of the sevenfold Spirit of God, but he's aware of 
of, of light and glory that can't be fully defined, emanating from that place of authority. Heaven is like that. <clears throat> that you see it everywhere. Everything that is seen is seen in light of the Father's glory. Everywhere you are in this house, this temple, this new Jerusalem, this city of God that's built on better foundations, that heavenly country, as it's called in Hebrews, this great garden city, this great house, this great temple, this great creation that we've never seen. Everywhere in it, when you look, you're aware This is my Father's house. This is my God's city. And it reflects Him. But though it emanates everywhere, there is a concentration in Christ. He's the tangible part of it. You even see that on the throne in Revelation 4 and 5. There's the glory of the light, the seven lamps of the Spirit of God. And John looks, behold, he says, one like unto a lamb that was slain. And he came and took the scroll. That in the midst of this glory and praise, Jesus is a kind of um, a, a linchpin of the whole thing. That it's mediated through him. He is heaven's glory. He is heaven's Lord and King. He is the King of the redeemed. He is the husband of the redeemed. It is the Father's house, but the Elder brother, the son of God, the king, reigns over this palace. The steward of God's house. This is Jesus' house that he inherited that makes the palaces of this earth and the greatest of all earthly kingdoms, glories and riches uh, as mere rusting metals and passing things. Jesus is there in his glory. That's who he is. Now, Jesus changed when he ascended. He changed. He was glorified. He was augmented in his glory. John Owen says that when Jesus prayed, Father, glorify thy Son, he he prayed for the glorification of his human nature, not for the destruction of it. Uh, What Owen was getting at there is some people think that when Jesus says, glorify me with the glory I had with you, that it's the eternal, immeasurable, divine glory that Jesus already has that's somehow placed on him. It's not. He has his divine glory and always had it. And it emanates from his person. But as Messiah, he's given a transformative glory as a man. His mind, his, his human faculties, his soul are in an exalted state now. That's why he's so aware of so many things. Uh, That is is how he's able to unleash and and wield the very authority and power of the whole cosmos, that all authority in heaven and earth is given to him. And it's seen even in the way he looks when the apostle Paul saw him in his conversion. He's blinded by the sight of Christ. This is Christ's augmented human nature, still completely human but glorified. And when he was transfigured, his clothes radiated like snow and like lightning, and his face shone like the sun in all of its strength. Jesus is the glory of heaven. 
And we go there, this one I speak of, we go there that I may receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. We dwell with him as as joint heirs. And that's a dynamic thing. We're not talking about ethereal, static things here. This is, re- this is a real, a tangible place. It even has physical properties, though it's primarily spiritual, that we are, what Paul calls we have now a natural body, and then we shall have a spiritual body. But that doesn't mean it's not physical. It means that it's dominated by the Spirit. It's, it's augmented in its spiritual glory. But Jesus was in his raised body, And he told them, he said, a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. He has his body. But it's, there's an augmented glory. This is a a real place. And when we go, and when we go to the Father's house, to the many rooms, the temple, what do we do in the temple? An augmented version of what the temple was always for. There we see the glory of God in Christ. There we are taught. There we fellowship. There we live, there we rejoice and praise and labor and serve the Lord. First in heaven as it is now and then ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. We will look upon the light and glory of Christ and praise them, praise him as they do in the book of Revelation. Worthy you are, O Lord, to receive riches, honor and wisdom and power and authority for you redeemed us to God by your blood. We will look upon there, seeing the depths of the redemptive glory and beauty of Jesus. You think you've learned things in this church or in a seminary? Heaven is way beyond that. You think you wouldn't be taught in heaven? Christ will preach in heaven. Just as he did here. When they went into the temple and he taught in Solomon's colonnade and they're astonished at the words he says, we will learn things of redemption there. We are there to know him. That's what heaven is, to trace out the glories of Christ. We will hear of those things there, of his eternal past, of the glory of his person, of his incarnation. The glory of his work, what he accomplished on the cross and its nature, his resurrection, his his knowledge, his lordship over all things. How can we reign with him if he will not teach us how he reigns over all things? All of his purposes. Now, those are all glorious things. This is pastoral. His relationship to us. You think uh, I would go to glory and not be taught by Christ about his dealings with me uh, in this world? The unanswered questions, the providences, the direction that, that things took, things that are not understood, things about myself that I don't understand? Will we not interact with Jesus in that way to understand his 
the providential reign and the things he did in our lives, the, the timing, uh, the decisions he took and why they were taken, the things he withheld, the opportunities he gave, the times he for, forgave you, the times he strengthened you. Jesus says a few verses later, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus will manifest these things to us. Now, how great that will be. And you should think about that. That is pastoral. You should think in your days, in your weeks, of standing before the Lord Jesus and being welcomed home by him to look in to the eyes of Christ, the man from Galilee, the king of the Jews, the man, the son of God, your human Lord and Savior, divine, yes, and how awesome it will be to look upon one who is human, knowing he is divine, and that he led you through every day of this life by his Spirit, all by faith, as you strove onward and ran the race, looking unto him without the eye of sight, but enduring as seeing him who is invisible, what it will be like to see him and for his eyes to look upon you. And there will be times, uh, there will be a lot of people with Christ in glory. And I don't know how all of that is figured out, but of course you will be with him. And he will converse with you. No matter what the world thought of you, or how worthless anyone else thought you were. This is what the Christian has. A home of fellowship with Father and Son and Spirit, the sevenfold Spirit of God burning before the throne. He will abide with you forever, we saw this morning. Now that forever goes beyond this world. It's not just about your sanctification and blessing you in the church. The Spirit dwells in you forever. You are glorified because of the Holy Spirit. It's Him who does it. It's the power, it's the resurrection power of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that will do that in you. First, when you pass from this life and your soul is glorified, but then in the resurrection itself, it's the Holy Spirit filling you with the very life and light of God. The same as he did to Jesus. That's what gives you life. And when you walk in the new heavens and earth, you are one radiating the glories of Christ. You will be like him, for you shall see him as he is. And you will be Christ as the Spirit without measure. You will have the Holy Spirit in fullness. For there will be one church, one head and one body, anointed under the Holy Spirit. Christ and us. And we will dwell together in that way. All in the union of the Holy Spirit. So you will have fellowship in that place with Father, Son, and Spirit. Let me say two more things as I 
uh, bring this to a close. You will also have fellowship with the redeemed. It's not, I'll take one person to be in the Father's house, and as long as you get there, and you'll stare at Jesus the whole time you're there, it's a very unnatural picture. Of course it is. He's got a collegiate of disciples here. He's building a church here. And heaven is a place where there's much happening. It's a place of society. It's a place of table fellowship. Jesus always speaks of it that way. There aren't many pictures of heaven in the New Testament where there's a solitary interaction at all. You go and you sit at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. You notice in his high priestly prayer, um, I I pointed this out to you this morning, how how corporate it always is, that there's the Father, Son, and Spirit um, with one another. And then there's the believers, they, that they may be with me, that they... Um, it's all plural. It's all in, um, a corporate picture that they be with me. And that wouldn't be a problem in that place. Sometimes for us in our selfishness here, they is a problem because we want it to be me or just us, not them. And that can even go on in churches and so on. Um, all that sin will be gone from your heart in that place. It will always be they. All as one, the children of God, join heirs with Christ. And they're all together fellowshipping with one another as they fellowship with God. And they'll be there. Uh, Jacob, uh, Ruth, Methuselah, Jeremiah, Peter, Paul, people from church history and so on, people who we don't even know who their names are. We've not heard of them because they weren't included in a book somewhere. But beautiful people who have done great things for God, whoever they are, maybe the the widow who put the might in the treasury chest in the temple court, other unnamed people from the gospel that by the world's standards, oh, that's not impressive. But Christ said she did more than they all. It's a place of fellowship. It's pictured in Revelation as a multitude no man can number of tribes gathered together in order, gathered gathered together in unison, gathered together with one voice, with one song, with one doctrine, under a set of crowns and under one Lord. It's a place of consummation but a place that every man longs for, but doesn't know he longs for it. He longs for a fleshly, sinful, selfish version of it. But we are built for society. We're built for conversation. We're built for face-to-face interaction. We're built for love. Even Adam in his innocence. It's just something not quite full there. And then Eve is brought, and so everything is as, everything is right. And all that has been broken, marred and torn to shreds by Satan. And even though it's brought together in the church, and we praise God for times of unity, how often it breaks out even in the church of Christ. Well, there, there is fellowship. There is purity and selflessness and light. No doctrinal disagreements there. 
None. Christ is clear about what is true. And all are aware that it is true. And in that place you don't just say, I will submit to the courts of the church. You you do so gladly because of its glory, truth, and love. Well, you maybe don't have a family. Maybe you have family members that have abandoned you. Maybe your family is broken. Maybe you've experienced broken relationships with other Christians. My dear friend, if your faith is in Christ and you've cleaved to him in love and you've repented of your sins and Christ is the love of your soul and you worship the Father, this place is not far away. It's imminent and soon. And Satan would blind us from it when our forefathers had a heavenly mind and thought much on this place. In that place, you will be with the redeemed. You will worship with them. You will share with them. You will have the same nature, the same will, the same desires, the same glorified nature of Jesus Christ. The same pursuits. What a blessing that will be. I want to finish with this. Your fellowship with the angels. The ones who are sent forth as ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. We have fellowship with them. We are the sons of the house. The angels are servants of the house at least. But there's a way in which we can call them sons, as long as we're careful. They are the sons of God, Scripture says. They are not the adopted sons. They are the elect angels who never sinned. They are servants of God. They are sons by creation. That's the way in which Scripture teaches that they are the sons of God. They are sons by creation, not redemption or adoption. But they bear, in that way, a certain image of God. They are rational, conversational, intelligent. Every picture of heaven that's presented, or so many of them in the New Testament, it can it, it includes the angels in Revelation. Even the temple had the cherubim over the ark and the curtains into God's innermost sanctuary embroidered with images of the holy angels. What a glorious place and what a glorious fellowship it will be. These ones who ministered to you. Do you think that they minister to you? you believe Hebrews chapter 1 and 2? That there are angels, innumerable, that they encamp around the Lord's people, that they're involved in your life, in where you go and what happens, and the spiritual warfare that goes on around you? They're there. They're here. let's leave the point about uh, head coverings but just to say that Paul says that we that the, the women cover their heads because of the angels 
His point is that our angels in worship. Of course they're in worship. They minister to the heirs of salvation. They desire to look into these things. They're in awe of God and all he's done in Christ. Look at Jacob. Look at Elisha. Daniel. It's always angels with the saints. Always angels in the kingdom. There are always angels in the church coming to and fro from the Lord God Almighty. You may feel far from heaven. We're dull and in a fallen episode here. But if there are angels in in the worship right now, if they're here, then at some point recently, the, the ones that are here were right before the Father on his throne. We're not far from heaven. They protect us from uh, the evil one and so on. Do you not think you'll speak to them? Do you not think they want to speak with the redeemed? They speak, spoke with Abraham. They spoke with Samson's parents. They, they're involved in the battles of Judah and Israel. These angels that proclaimed Jesus' birth, these angels that ministered to him in the wilderness, the, the, the angel that was with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, the the angels that guarded his tomb, that rolled the, the stone of redemption from the mouth of his tomb, that released Peter from prison, that were with Paul. There's so much that they will be able to say to us. They were there when God laid the foundation of the earth and they sang for joy. They descended in chariots upon chariots on Sinai. And they saw the Lord Jesus enter heaven. And they bowed before him and worshipped him. And they know and love Christ. And they love the Father. They love the Spirit of God. And they love the saints. These are some of the things we can say when Christ says... In my Father's house there are many rooms. May these things be a blessing uh, to you. Uh, Let's uh, pray before we close in in praise. Gracious one, part us uh, from this place with your blessing. We ask that you would show us this hope. It is a blessing to be in God's house and to think on these permanent matters but also, too, uh, we have a calling in this world. And we pray that the hope and the strength of your dwelling within us and the place in heaven where you dwell and the certainty for the believer to go there, we pray that it would spur us on to serve you with all of our might even if we must suffer for it. Help us to live loose by the world, not to amass its possessions and its roots, but to invest in heaven and to lay up treasure there. And help us too to proclaim your gospel to every creature that we see. Everyone we see is walking 
on a path or a broad road. One leads to life, to the house and family of God, and the other leads to destruction, a lost eternity and hell. And we pray that we would be clear in announcing the gospel of our Master and that we would bid people that there is a Father who is seeking such to worship him. And that your call, O Father, is that man would believe in your Son and repent and believe the provision of salvation you have made in the gospel of Christ. Help us then to live with the strength and glory of your presence and to move with eyes of faith fixed on the glory to come and in the meantime to serve you with all that we have. In Christ's great name we pray it all. Amen. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 84, verse 7. They from strength unwearied go, still forward unto strength until in Zion. They appear before the Lord at length. Lord God of hosts, my prayer here, O Jacob's God, give ear. See God our shield. Look on the face of thine anointed dear. We'll sing verse 7 to 12 and stand to praise him. Da, da, da. 